It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Everybody. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm Hillary Georgie, and with me today is Nathan Akaborski. Hello. And John Schwartz. Hello. How's it going, guys? Good. John, you've been traveling. Welcome back. Thank you. How'd it go? Um, it was great. Uh, I got to be out in, uh, on the West Coast doing a little work uh, on a feature I'm writing about CC Sabathia. Um, kind of came out of nowhere a little bit, so I'm still a week later trying to process uh, the bounty that I got out in Oakland and <laughs> Vallejo and San Francisco and what have you, but uh, you were there for uh, CC and Amber Sabathia Day, weren't you? I sure was. Oh. Didn't know it at the time. <laughs> um, it became CC and Amber Sabathia Day in Vallejo, California. CC and Amber are special people. Um, their foundation is a special operation. They do good things that help actual people. You know, they say a lot, and other people say a lot. You know, anyone can give money. It's important to give time, and they give time and money. So, you know, it was it was, it was special to be out there with them and to see some of this stuff. And while I am enormously stressed out about the story and writing it right now, I'm very grateful to have been kind of chosen to be able to tell this part of his story. Yeah, CC is a good guy. I remember writing about him and his charity when I did my story. Uh, I think it was back in May about the players who do charity work and one of the other guys that i talked about in that feature was brett gartner who does a lot of charity work too a little bit more quietly than cc sabathian there's nothing wrong with that but in this month's issue the september issue i wrote a standalone feature on brett gartner which was pretty fun too yeah he's a guy certainly uh, worth talking about there's a lot to say now that it's been a decade a decade in more, pinstripes yeah He's been right. around for a long time. So what would you say was the uh, angle of this story? You know, what were you kind of hoping to accomplish with this feature? I think I just really wanted to learn about how Gardner approaches his role on this team as kind of a guy who's never been the star. He's been surrounded by so many stars, and yet he's always there he's always in the lineup you look at the lineup and rarely a day goes by where Brett Gardner is not either leading off or like in there doing something important getting on base and I think he's kind of one of the unsung heroes from the outside but from the inside if you ask anybody in that clubhouse he's the him and Cece are the number one and two guys that people say like they're who we look up to you know I think kind of a, a funny way to gauge his impact is, you know, you're uh, every month in the magazine, Hillary, you, you put together the fan spotlight page, mm -hmm. which is, you know, every month we highlight a, a season ticket licensee of the month or, right. or a group leader of the month. So, you know, true Yankees fans. And we pose a few questions to them. And two of the questions are, you know, who's your all time favorite Yankee and who's your current favorite Yankee? And you see Brett Gardner's name a lot a in lot. that section. So awesome. So, you know, while I agree with you that, you know, he's really never been like the superstar. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he's made he made the one all-star game back in 2015. But you're right. I mean, he's always kind of been surrounded by brighter stars, bigger bigger names. Still, I mean, if you watch him every day and you know his, his backstory about being a, you know, a walk-on in college and mm -hmm. um, just 
the career that he's kind of carved out for himself. It's pretty hard not to root for a guy like that. New Yorkers, I think, and Yankees fans in particular, like guys who show up and do their job and just get it done. And mm-hmm. Brett Gardner's made an entire career of showing up and doing his job and doing it when he was hurt, doing it when he maybe didn't want to do it, doing it when there were headlines that maybe weren't as positive as he wanted. He just kept showing up having long at bats getting on base scoring runs stealing bases he just kept doing it it's been 10 years and he's still doing it it's kind of funny to me too because i remember you know like five seasons ago when i started here um nate i think you were working on a story about him and you know i obviously watched plenty of baseball even before i started here and i think i was pretty plugged in but you were writing about how you know guardy was you know the joker of the team and kind of like the cut up in the clubhouse i was just like what in the world is he talking about like <laughs> and, and and i think it's interesting and, and and you know both of you talk about the way you know fans react to him and i kind of wonder while i do think it is somewhat more clear now as he has kind of taken a bigger role in the clubhouse in the post jeter post era whatever era you know i wonder if that was just the type of thing that you had to really be in the room to see because on the field i mean he's just got those bulging veins out of his neck right, he always yeah. looks so serious you, know, you talk to every player though and he's the guy who's cracking them up and you see it in the clubhouse sometimes and yeah i mean i i just still remember being shocked when you told me like the angle you were going up with your story and i'm just like are there two brett gardeners on this yeah. team <laughs> when i was reporting the story i had a conversation with adam warren right before he got traded we were talking about brett garner because they came up a little bit together brett was here just a couple years before adam made his debut and i asked adam i was like is he still a jokester is he still like cracking you guys up and Adam's like oh yeah you don't want to leave food out around Gardner right, it might yeah. be a little bit salty when you get it back or when you taste it so <laughs> it's he's still doing these things but like you said John I think you have to be around him to know it because on the surface on his face he's not giving you anything he's very much in control of everything he does yes. I, I feel so obviously he's choosing that but you know it is you mentioned the quieter charity and I think we've all had opportunities um, whether on Hope Week or just other random things to see the way Gardy interacts with you know kids and mm-hmm. um, fans and stuff like that and, and you see Gardner and he's just a natural at like going up to the kid who looks like he's the most nervous or the most concerned or the most upset about something and just like locking eyes with that kid and saying I'm gonna make you feel good right now I wish there was a way that like you know some of his like sillier and more ridiculous side came out in the field but again that's what he's choosing obviously yeah no he's he's very low-key guy publicly I mean he you know the charity you alluded to he does very quietly I mean I'm sure there's tons of things he does that we have no idea about and um you know he's always like always at his locker always willing to answer whatever questions we have which you know we love but you know, I've had plenty of times where I've tried to, like, do something else with him or pitched a story his way, and he's just like, nah, not going to do that. <laughs> and, and not in a in a total, like, respectful and, and great way. You right. know, he's just like, I, I don't you want know. to be the story. Right. Yeah, he's like, I get that you're doing your job, and I, I think it's a great idea. I'm just not interested. And, you know, I walk away thinking, hey, I respect that. This guy's he's focused on his job. He doesn't want to play along with my silly story idea or whatever so. he's not making your job hard because he wants to it's he's right. just like i'm gonna do my thing you do your thing mm-hmm. i don't want to be the center of attention i don't need that in my life i don't need you know some reporter following me around to see what i do i'm very boring he's not very boring he's very interesting absolutely but he doesn't want to have the spotlight on him and i think that served him well because yeah. he's still here 10 years later 
It, it, it brings up an interesting point, though, and I kind of wonder this. We came into this season wondering what we were going to do with the bounty of outfielders that the Yankees had. Um, and you what saw bounty? Pr- yeah, you saw pretty quickly <laughs> that, like, that a couple injuries can make that go away in a pretty dramatic fashion. Mm-hmm. You know, look, we have every reason to expect, you know, next year that Clint Frazier's back. Maybe Jacoby Ellsbury's back next year. Aaron Hicks, Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge. It's easy to say, like, you know, this is probably the end for Gardner or whatever. And yet, I, I don't know. How, I don't know. How, like, if you can necessarily be getting rid of outfielders right now. I mean, you saw what happened. It, and especially a guy like him who just brings so much to the table that if you don't watch the Yankees every day and you just look at the numbers, you're like, it's, it's not going to jump off the page at you. But, you know, one of the things you alluded to earlier, Hillary, and that you touch on in your story that I think is pretty important is the number of pitches that Gardner sees at the plate. I mean, he's always, you know, there's been several years throughout his career where he's been in like the top 10 or whatever in the, in the league having seen the most pitches per plate appearance. And I think you spoke to him and maybe a couple of the other guys too about just what kind of impact that has in in the game. Yeah, for sure. So Gardner, and you'll hear this later because we'll play a little bit of the interview for you. Gardner wants to make the pitcher's job. He wants to make it really hard. He wants the pitcher to have a really long day. And especially when he's leading off a game, that helps everybody down the line. I talked to Didi Gregorius. I talked to I talked to Luke Voigt. I talked to a couple of the other pitchers who have faced him, like Zach Britton, who's like, every single time you face this guy, he's going to make you work and it's going to be hard and you're going to have to use every single pitch in your arsenal because he's not going to just swing at the first pitch and like get an out. Not in his DNA. And Didi was like, having him lead off that about, I'm watching every single pitch from the dugout because Didi usually hits third, fourth, fifth. He's he's in the hole. And he sees every pitch that the pitcher has that day, whether his curveball's working, whether his fastball's moving, whether his cutter's cutting. Gardner's going to make sure that everybody in that dugout knows what the pitcher's working with that day, which helps them when they come up to bat. And that also makes me think that whatever happens next year, there are, there are players certainly who you can look at and say, you know, this guy's not suited to be a bench player, uh, a pinch hitter, whatever. I really think actually Gardner would be a great fourth or fifth outfielder if the situation works out as such that, you know, <laughs> the team doesn't need him to be a first or second or third outfielder. His approach at the plate, the fact that he's not going to swing at that first pitch, the fact that, you know, he's going to make a pitcher work. The concern always with guys who are used to playing every day coming in pinch hitting is that, you know, they're coming in cold or anything like that. You know, I see in Gardy, a guy who can work himself up pretty good over the course of an at-bat because he's going to get eight or nine pitches. He doesn't have to be ready to, you know, gripping and ripping on that first pitch. That's just not the way he is. And then, of course, you know, maybe coming off the bench he decides he is going to be that guy and you know he knows they know he's not going to swing at that first pitch fastball so they're going to groove on down the middle and then boom Guardy puts it into the right field seats right over that short porch like he loves doing which so. he's very good at <laughs> i remember the first time i watched him in batting practice and he was just hitting ball after ball out i was like holy cow brett look at you go <laughs> he was he was keeping pace with the guys like aaron judge i was like oh my god amazing he's a fascinating player i mean <laughs> Going back to the, uh, you know, the bats that he puts together and, and how it just, you know, it drives the opponents crazy, the, the opposing pitchers. And I think you had a line in here uh, when you, you spoke to Zach Britton for the story because he had obviously faced him when he was with Baltimore. And um, I think Zach said something to the effect of that you always kind of he, – he's one of those guys that, like, you kind of have to be aware of when you're out there because uh, he just – he can drive you crazy. Mm-hmm. And, and it reminded me of um, – you know, I heard – or I might have even talked to Zach Britton during that All-Star game in 2015. I re- remember going around to guys in the division 
who had faced Guardy, and, and, and a lot of the pitchers kind of had the same sort of thing to say. You know, I remember, I think David Price was maybe on Detroit at the time, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, he was just like, God, that guy drives me nuts. And he's <laughs> like, I, I, because he said, I would rather face Miguel Cabrera because he's going to come up there and, you know, be aggressive and rip a double off of you, but it's going to take all of 30 seconds. Right. Whereas Gardner's going to work a 9, 10, 12 pitch at bat, draw a walk, get on first, you're picking over, and then he steals second, and it's like, it's just so it's much more never effort. Ending. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I thought the perspective that you had from, from Zach in this piece kind of really helped tell the story too. Yeah, and um, there was a quote from, I think it was Cody Allen in after... Gardner had put together like two 12 pitch at bats in game five of last year's mm-hmm. ALDS and he beat Cody Allen and I think it was the ninth inning to give the Yankees some breathing room and the win ultimately in the game of the series and Cody, Cody Allen was like every team needs a Brett Gardner yeah. and I think that spoke like I think that was one of the first things that I read before I wrote the story and I that really shaped how I wanted to go about it I was like why does every team need a Brett Gardner? And that's what I did. But the thing is, I mean, let's go to the wild card game last year. You know, in that first inning, obviously, everything goes bonkers. Suddenly, you know, bottom of the first, he comes up six pitches, doesn't swing the bat once, but works a walk mm-hmm. that just, by, by the end of that at bat, as stupid as it sounds, because it was still 3 nothing. by the end of that at bat, by pitch five and six, you could sense that there was just this idea in the room that, like, there's actually a lot of baseball left, oh, yeah. um, which you didn't get even when Green got those two outs. Mm-hmm. You know, people were excited, but there was still this like, oh, great. Now the team's just not going to gonna show up and, and look dead, whatever. And no, right away, you could see with Gardner, like, no, we're going to make we're, we're going to get this back. And then I don't remember if it was the next inning or the third inning, but he also hits a home run that breaks the tie. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, everything that we've said about him so far, I, I think is true because I think that we are honest people. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he's not just the pucky gritty annoying irritating rascally base runner like he adds a lot of value. he adds a lot he's of a value threat, at, sure. at the plate mm-hmm. um and he beats you whether whether he's batting in the top of the order or the bottom order this year sometimes in kind of a new role for him like he he just is an extremely extremely difficult out but not just because he's going to get a, a single or a walk because like, if you screw up especially in Yankee Stadium where he's meant to hit you know, he's going to put that ball in the seats one of the things I've come to admire about Guardy over the years too is you know again going back to sort of our perspective as reporters you know a lot of ball players talk the talk when it comes to not getting too high and not getting too low and being you know the same guy in the locker room in the clubhouse every day no matter how it's going on the field and like but then he, you go talk to them after a bad game and all of a sudden they're not the same person or yeah. you go talk after a great game or, and they're yeah. suddenly really great and thrilled about talking right or a guy's <laughs> in the middle of a slump and you know he's not in front of his locker quite as much anymore <laughs> stuff like that but Guardy's really the embodiment I think of that you know just he's he's as consistent as they come mm-hmm. when it comes to that stuff so and um, that's why I mean, you don't want to fetishize age in this game. You don't want to fetishize experience, but, like, that is what it does. He Mm -hmm. and CeCe know things about games number 135 through 162. The young kids who are so great in May and June, whatever, they've never played in a 155th game. They've Mm -hmm. never played a 162-game season. They've never been in a major league playoff before. Gardner and CeCe, they know what it's like. Yeah. Um, So it was cool. I was happy to do the story. Gardner is a great guy, and um, you'll hear from him coming right up. And also, we'll talk about, Sean, your story about the bullpen. So stick around. (music) 
Brett Gardner has been suiting up for the Yankees for more than a decade, and although he may never have been the brightest star on the roster, his tough play has endeared him to fans and earned him respect from his peers. I recently sat down with Brett and we talked about what the last 11 years have been like for him and what he still hopes to achieve. Here's some of our conversation. If you could take me back to that first day, Yankee Stadium, the old Yankee Stadium, 2008, what was that like for you? Wow. Um, a lot of emotions. I mean, that first day, um, you know, getting called up to the big leagues, that's what you dream of as a little kid, you know, and there's obviously a lot of steps along the way to get to that point. But to be able to make that debut at home, um, wearing the pinstripes, um, just a really, really special day. Um, a lot of nerves and a lot of excitement and a whole lot of emotions just um, kind of all into one. And you were surrounded by stars then, Jeter, Posada, Giambi, and throughout your career, A-Rod, guys have come in and out, Beltran, you've kind of flown under the radar. Have you felt that way too? And, and what benefit has that given you throughout your career? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of like it that way. Mm -hmm. I kind of prefer to, to just fly under the radar and, um, you know, I love playing baseball and you know, everything that comes along with it. I mean, I think uh, sometimes sometimes can be overwhelming, especially playing in a market like this. So so for me, just trying to keep things as simple as possible to, to allow me to focus on the things I need to focus on. But, you know, I've been fortunate to play with a lot of great teammates who have, you know, not just had great careers, have been great great players, but, but great people as well. And, um, you know, just learn things from them and pick up on things as you go. And um, it's kind of all a piece of a puzzle, and you just try and put it together. And I don't think it's ever a finished product, but, you know, just try to learn from those guys. And, um, you know, very fortunate to have played with some, some, some awesome people. Like you said, playing in a market like this is a hard thing to do. You've been doing it for 10 years. How have you managed to, to figure out New York and be successful and never really have a fall like some other guys have? <laughs> well, I mean, um, you know, I, I think that, I don't know if you can ever figure out New York or ever ever really wrap your wrap your whole head around it, but I mean, I just try and keep things simple. Like I said, I try and focus on the things that I need to focus on, and um, you know, love playing love playing the game of baseball, and I love playing here and for the Yankees. For the most part, done a good job of staying healthy, staying available, staying on the field, and you know, I think that's more important than anything. Just just being available and and doing your best to stay healthy. A lot of your teammates describe you as gritty, scrappy, guy who plays hurt, a leader. What do terms like that mean to you? And how much pride do you take in being able to be that kind of a guy? Um, you know, I mean, I think anytime you hear your, you know, teammates talk about you in a good way like that, it's it, it can be it can be flattering. I mean, I think that a lot of guys in this room um, not just have respect for for the for the veteran guys that we have but but a lot of respect for each other for uh for 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 different things whether it be on the field off the field you know so i think that um that's, that's cool to hear those things but um you know i think that like i said there's never a finished product there's always there's always work to be done and um so far this season has been a lot of fun you play such a huge role as a leadoff hitter, setting the table, and you see so many pitches. Tell me a little bit about your approach to that role specifically and what you're looking to do when you're leading off a game. Uh, I'm trying to get on base. I mean, uh, depending on, you know, I know it sounds simple, but depending on what kind of pitchers on the mound, you know, I may be trying to do some different things and get on base a couple different ways. But, um, you know, it all depends on who's pitching and what kind of, um, what kind of stuff he has, what kind of maybe matchups I've had against him in the past, uh, how I think he's going to attack me, and 
you know, for me, the main goal, like I said, is just to get on base, get on base for those guys in the middle of the lineup. It sounds simple, but, um, you know, I like to see, I like to see my share of pitches and, and make the pitcher work and, you know, let them know that, you know, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a long day for him, hopefully. <laughs> and I think I was talking to Didi yesterday. He says, when you see that many pitches, it helps every single guy down the line. Is that what you're thinking too when you're up there to let these guys kind of see what this pitcher is throwing? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, I think, you know, everybody kind of knows what kind of stuff a pitcher has coming into the game and kind of what to expect. But it's nice to see him, um, you know, not every day, not every not every start, uh, a pitcher has all of his pitches. Um, they Maybe maybe their slider's not working that great that day and they lean more heavily on their curveball or their changeup or their cutter. So I think that there's, um, you know, the more pitches you throw and you more the more pitches you get a guy to throw and, and the more you get to look at them, um, the more of an advantage we have as an offense. I think every single person I've talked to ever since I've been here has called you and CeCe the leaders of this team. Do you feel like you've grown into that role? Do you feel like that role was thrust upon you? Do you feel like you took it on yourself? How do you feel about being a leader on this team? Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's obviously a, it's a, it's a very important role and um, something that I don't take lightly. And, you know, I think that... Um, you know, I don't want to say it's, it's something that got um, thrust upon me or thrown at me because, um, you know, the longer you're the longer you're here, eventually you kind of you kind of move into that role. And obviously, um, you know, we've had a lot of turnover on our roster the last few years, and it doesn't really seem to me, it doesn't feel to me that I've been here as long as I have, I guess. But um, you know, when I sit down and think about it, I guess I have been here quite a little while. And um, you know, we've got a we've got a pretty young team, especially for the Yankees. We've got a young team, a lot of young guys here, and. Um, you know, it's been a lot of fun to watch them continue to grow and, and kind of come into their own here at the big league level. You won a championship as a young guy. How much would it mean to win another one now, having been through everything that you've been through? Yeah, it would mean quite a bit more. You know, that first year, um, you know, I don't want to say you take it for granted, but you just kind of, I don't want to say you assume, but maybe just figure and hope that this is going to kind of come around every year. And, and, and you realize the longer you play, you realize how hard it is to get to that point and how much work goes in to get to that point and just to have a chance to play for a championship like that. Last year we got so close and, um, you know, would love to get back to that point. How much does it drive you, how close you got? Yeah, I mean, that's that's one of the main things that does drive us. I mean, um, you know, as, as, as a young guy, I mean, you're wanting to get your career started and wanting to make a little bit of money and wanting to maybe get a contract and... I think the longer that you play, the more that's what you're playing for. And um, I know it's something that CeCe and I have, have talked about a little bit. Um, that's, that's why we're here. I mean, we want to win, and we want to win badly. And, um, you know, we've got a great team this year. We've obviously still got a lot of work to do, but um, really like our team and like our chances. I feel like throughout your career, walking onto your college team, working your way up the minors, earning this starting spot, the lead-up spot, this leadership role, do you feel like you've played with a chip on your shoulder? And how much pride do you take in the respect that you've earned throughout your career and the sustained success that you've had? I don't know about the whole, I don't know about the whole chip on my shoulder thing. I mean, I've always just tried to, uh, I've always just tried to play hard, and um, I always tried to. You know, it sounds kind of simple, but always just try to do my best and 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 try and take my job as seriously as possible. And um, you know, I think that's just you know, it can be a long season and being being mentally tough enough to be able to grind through it when times aren't good and, and keep going and know that um, you know know that the best is yet to come and good things are around the corner. I think sometimes it's tough to lose or it's easy. It can be easy to lose sight of that. And um, 
you know, I think just trying to keep things in perspective, um, compartmentalize things, whether it be work and family or on-field stuff and off-field stuff, and um, been able to feel like do a pretty good job of that, and um, I think that's what's allowed me to still be here. I read the other day that there's only like four or five guys, Mattingly, Jeter, Posada, Rivera, who spent 10 straight years from the beginning of their career to the 10th year of the contract in pinstripes. What does it mean to be included in a list like that? Yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean, um, you know, things like that I, I don't really, I haven't really put a whole lot of thought into. Um, you know, I know that's something that when I'm done playing, I'm sure I'll look back on and appreciate a whole lot more than I do right now. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm very, I say all the time, I'm very, very fortunate and very blessed to, to still be here and um, to play such a big role on this team. And, um, you know, nowhere else I'd rather play. What's the goal every day? The goal every day is to win. I mean, um, that's it. I mean, wake up and, um, you know, obviously when, when I'm here and my family's here, especially during the summer and, spend some time with the family but when we come to the field and and, and get to work um, you know we're trying to get a win and um, that's the only thing that's going to get us to where we want to be at is to win games and um, you know we've done a pretty good job of that so far this year but but the Red Sox have, have done a little better job so we got to pick up the pace a little bit so um, but you know every day is a new day but every every day the goal is to win a game and um, get some rest and do it again tomorrow yeah, you're welcome Hi, this is DJ Gorius. You are listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. And we're back. Hi, guys. Hi. So, John, bullpen, how did it go? Tell us about your bullpen story. Well, true to form, I broke uh, Harold Chapman, um, so I apologize for that. The John Schwartz curse lives on. (laughs) Yeah, the story came about around the trade deadline when we were kind of looking at what was coming in there, and... At the time, I was very interested in this idea of Aaron Boone having three closers at his disposal. I think that I, like everyone else, was incredibly surprised when Aaron Boone got a fourth closer at his disposal in Zach Britton. Brian Cashman has a way of doing that. Yeah, he does. And, and, and that was the point that I was trying to get through in the story that baseball changes a lot and you can see it in where fielders position themselves you can see it in how it looks on tv but you can also see it in just simple ways as how you actually compose a roster one through 25 and i think that a lot of people like talking about joe madden madden and terry francona in the 2016 world series and the way that they use their relievers. What I found interesting as I started this story was that that actually wasn't the beginning of the story. The beginning of the story was when Cashman acquired a role as Chapman, Andrew Miller, and to go along with Dylan Betances. Um, and it, it didn't really make sense as far as what we knew about roster construction at the time. But as we see now, starting pitchers are simply not expected to go seven or eight innings anymore. Like fans want them to and fans act like, oh, you know, this guy's soft. Back in my day, you know, they went nine. And that's stupid because back in their day, all the pitchers got injured and no one saw the best of their potential. There is very clear data that a starting pitcher gets less effective the third time through. So if you start approaching starting pitchers as players supposed to face a lineup twice through, that means you need better relievers. That means that the idea that you have starting pitchers who are your best pitchers and you have closers who are your are your best relievers, and then in the middle you have guys who can aim toward the plate and throw a strike, that's not going to work anymore. You need dominant elite arms in there, and that's what the Yankees have been building. I think from my perspective – 
it seems to me that building a really strong bullpen isn't necessarily that new of a concept. I mean, you know, you think back to what we did here in the 90s. And sure. It was like a lot of that success was predicated on the fact that we had a bullpen that gave up very little. So I think where I see the change is that now managers are becoming less tethered to the idea of defined roles in the bullpen. So you're seeing like the thought being, I'm going to use my best pitcher against their best hitters, whether it's the eighth or the ninth, could kind of is a little bit more fluid than it used to be. So I think, you know, with the addition of Britain, that kind of gave Aaron Boone even more of like, you know, dealing from a from a, a strong hand in terms of, you know, the, the weapons at his disposal out there in the bullpen. And, you know, he's had the the guys who are out there are really capable of handling a wide array of roles. But if you think about it really practically, you know, the funny thing for me about when we talk about defined bullpen roles is that it simply doesn't work. Like, the best case scenario is it's not going to work because the best case scenario everyone says, you know, is that your starter's going to go six and then, you know, you're, you're going to get, you know, seven, eight, nine from your three dominant relievers or whatever, except for the fact that your three dominant relievers aren't going to pitch every day. It just, it can't work. Like you, even if you were to go 162 and 0, which is ridiculous, but your, your three dominant relievers can't pitch every day. Adding that fourth dominant reliever, as silly as it sounds, it changes everything because look, like even when Britain came, Chapman was pretty well entrenched in the closer role until he got hurt and I assume that when he gets back he's going to get the role back but there was just this idea that like yeah Nate you don't have an eighth inning guy anymore you have eighth inning matchups and maybe that's going to be David Robertson or maybe that's going to be Zach Britton or maybe it's going to be Dylan Batances but you know this goes again back to that 2016 World Series when suddenly Andrew Miller is pitching in the fifth inning and the third inning and the sixth inning and the seventh inning and, and being willing and eager to do it you know, that really just shows you just, you know, the leverage moments, you can't control when they come. You can't decide that the high leverage moment is going to be in the eighth or ninth inning. Mm-hmm. You could be tied in the fourth inning and need to get an out. You could be winning by nine in the ninth inning. You don't need your closer at that point, And you just Ugh. wasted the fourth inning on whoever. And, and the funny thing is, you know, for all we talk about, you know, that World Series in 2016, you know, kind of like the poster boy for kind of the other side of this was Zach Britton, who in the wild card game, he's sitting there warming up, warming up, warming up. The game goes 11 innings, you know, so the rule is you don't bring your closer into a tie game on the road because if you're going to take the lead, you're going to supposedly need your closer. Well, that rule is great until you lose without ever getting your closer into the game. You're um, all-star right, closer. You're all-star closer. pitcher didn't get to pitch. Who, 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 who <laughs> that year, yeah, had the best year for a closer in the American League ever mm-hmm. and you don't pitch him you pitch a inferior pitcher because the situation you think dictates it now if Zach Britton gets into that game do the Orioles win I don't know Zach Britton probably wasn't going to hit a home run in that game but this idea that just like you're not going to use him because it's not his time like and, and so you're going to end up seeing your season end without your best pitcher without the best pitcher pitching you know I think that that is what you're seeing managers fight against now yeah I think that's all but gone I, I don't know really any manager who's not willing to throw the best arm against the best bat when the situation needs to happen except you know what the funny thing is and and man i had never really spoken to britain at all 
I hope it came through in the story. I had a really fun and interesting conversation with him for this piece. Um, and, you know, he was he's very, very thoughtful in the way he answers every question. And he might fight the premise of the question a little bit, but it's in the interest of providing you a better answer, not in the interest of, you know, showing dominance over you or providing a worse answer. And one point that came up to me... and. I, I, it's very hard to get like tone of voice through in a story as hard as you know that's what we do professionally and as hard as we try but there was a time i was speaking to him kind of about the idea of you know he's talking about the, how he is so intrigued by the game and interested and you know want, likes this opportunity to pitch for the yankees in the seventh and eighth inning because he understands leverage and all these things and then i asked him like look man you're a free agent like are you going to make a condition of where you sign next year that you're closing and he was basically like yeah probably and i said then why <laughs> um and, and, and he kind of paused for a minute and, and he just answered he's like well you know i have the american league record for most consecutive saves i'm pretty good at it and and, <laughs> and he wasn't saying it to to be like you know how yeah, dare you ask me that like question. Right. No. he was just i think in his head he truly didn't know why the answer was what it was. I mean, look, we can tell you there's more money being closed right now. There's more procedure being closed right now. You know, he doesn't just want this contract. He probably wants another contract after that. But, you know, I think he gets it that just like the salary structure of the closer does not make sense with regard to the bullpen as a whole right now. And that is probably going to change. But in the moment, he's still in his head, thinks of himself as a closer, even if he realizes that what he's doing this year actually might be a little bit more interesting because, He's he's not simply coming in with a three run lead um, in the ninth inning, you know, to get three outs. He's coming in in that seventh inning when three, four, five may be coming up, and it's just a different job and a different situation. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting to hear his kind of like contradictory perspective on that. Yeah, that's what I really wanted to ask you about because every time you ask a pitcher or anybody on the team. How do you feel about your role? They're like, I'm going to do what's best for the team. Uh, whatever the team wants me to do, that's what I'm happy to do. But do they actually feel that way? And I think it's so interesting to hear that perspective. Like, I think he is interested, like you were saying, in doing what he's doing. But the role still matters. For some reason, the role still matters. And, and look, I, I can tell you, you know, I've read all the same things, you know, you guys have, you know, just about three three outs or three outs. And, you know, your best pitcher should pitch in the highest leverage moment. And I can tell you, I believe that. And I say this never having pitched and certainly never having been a big leaguer. You talk to Mike Harkey, the bullpen coach, and he says, no, the ninth inning is different. The three outs in the ninth inning are different. And I want to say I disagree with him but I don't know you know maybe I'm wrong he says the ninth inning is different he says you look at these pitchers who the hardest situation when they perform the worst is when they have a four run lead because the ninth inning is different and there are just some people who want the ball in that situation and you can't create that in a factory or anything like that the ninth inning is different and the ninth inning in Boston is especially different. We can disagree with that we can say whatever we want I I do think the data shows that he is not right but you know he's the one who's literally in the bullpen with them at all times, um, and what he's a he... bit more of an expert than absolutely. We are. No, no, yeah. I, I completely am saying that. And so maybe maybe I've been wrong all, and maybe I and I and I hope I tried to get Harkey's point through in the story that you know there is even in this you know very progressive Yankees system and and, and clubhouse you know there is still some idea that you know no, all these changes are wrong and we're doing this wrong. And you speak to you speak to Greg Bird and he'll say all the things you want him to say about, you know, how interested he is in the way baseball is changing and progressive, but that he can't handle when he hits a ball and it goes where someone shouldn't be standing and they have no business standing there. It's like everyone wants, you know, <laughs> what works for them at that moment. And right. I think Harkey, 
you know, look, Harkey's the bullpen coach. Harkey's job is to get the outs from his bullpen pitchers. And he knows that Aroldis Chapman does that really well. And so, dang it, he wants Aroldis Chapman to be the guy who's doing that. But it's just interesting to me to hear that because we can go through all this stuff about the leverage moments. And yet I sit down with him and he's like, no, the ninth inning is different. I think I agree with both of you. I think there I are, think I do too. I think there, <laughs> there are definitely three outs is three outs. And that's never going to change. But especially like you're saying, on the road, in Boston, last three outs of a game it's going to feel different than it would in the seventh inning because there's just a lot more on the line. I also think it's wishful thinking at some points. I I think that people, and again, these are well-intentioned people who I generally do agree with in terms of how they perceive the game, but there is an idea that all outs should be one of 27 and that if you're good enough to be a major league pitcher, you should be good enough to record an out against the number eight hitter in the lineup, whether it's the first, fifth, or ninth inning. But like... I crack under the pressure all the time, sure. um, and maybe maybe it, maybe it's wrong. Maybe it is unfair to say that you know any pitcher good enough to pitch for the Yankees should be able to record outs in the ninth inning. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I think it's I I agree with Hark. I think the ninth is just a different animal. You know, if you if you give it up in the the seventh or the eighth, there's still a little game to be played. You know, you still have maybe an, yeah, another no inning net. or there's two no to net. come back. Whereas like you give up a walk off. You just, you, you know, you walk into that clubhouse. Sorry, guys. Like, <laughs> you give up a walk off two days in a row in the World Series. Oof. I mean, yeah. no, I mean, very practical. Like, I don't need to tell anyone in this room or I think anyone listening to this how good Mariano Rivera was. There's also never been anything close to like what he was able to do over the course of that career because relievers are volatile. I think the guy with the most career saves, active pitcher with the most career saves right now is Fernando Rodney. Fernando Rodney's a good pitcher, but, I mean, that's not Mariano Rivera. It's just guys don't last in this way. Guys aren't able to do this year after year after year after year. With one pitch. With one pitch. Yeah. Well, John, I I really enjoyed this piece. As long as it took me to edit it, it was still (laughs) a treat because, um, you know, I think when we acquired Zach Britton, you know, I was looking forward to our coverage of him in the magazine where we're allowed to kind of go into a little more depth than uh, a lot of other outlets are. But, you know, in, instead of tackling it as a Zach Britton, you know, nice to while. meet you, yeah. <laughs> uh, you kind of went about it at, from an angle of, uh, you know, one of the facets of baseball that is kind of changing, you know, and this is it's a timely piece because, you know, there's always that kind of push and pull between old school and new school and people teams and front offices are always looking for new places to find an edge and uh, the bullpen and the, the construction of bullpens and more so the deployment of relief pitchers is one of those areas right now. You know, it, it's interesting. I think managers are often kind of in a tough spot with this because they're doing what they what they think is right, obviously. But if the pitchers don't execute, then it still falls on them. You know, I hear it all the time on my commute into and, and into work and going home fans get so upset when you know why did this guy pitch the seventh why didn't he pull him why didn't he save him for later well you know i mean if the pitcher you know sometimes the ball hangs over the plate right right (laughs) exactly but um you know i I just think this is one of those things like the shift um that it it takes fans a, a little while maybe to get on board with and especially when your team loses a game or something and and maybe the bullpen has something to do with that it's easy to get all fired up and say let's go back to the way things were back then but uh it's not necessarily the best idea how far away do you think the Yankees are from using an opener instead of a starter <laughs> 
it's, it's worked pretty well for Tampa Give Bay. Your this hot year. Takes, it's worked guys. pretty well for Oakland lately. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't think I don't see it happening. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe next year. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? They basically used an opener in the wild card game last year and <laughs> by, by accident. Accidentally, uh, they started a trend. <laughs> yeah. No. I. I think it's going to be fascinating to see what um, starting pitching looks like five years from now. Yeah, no doubt. So really important question. Um, were there a lot of typos in the story or was it just 2,000 words too long? <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of typos, just a lot of words. Lot That's of, all. A lot of words. words. A, lot of, a lot of great information. A lot, of saves, a lot of saves in that bullpen and I had to write about each one of them. You know also, what? <laughs> also, it is nice to meet Zach Britton. He's a lovely guy. And we could have written a nice profile about him, but I like this too. He's super thoughtful. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't prepared for, like I said, I, I tried to get it in there. I tried to convey just incredibly polite, incredibly interesting. He's got a really interesting backstory in the sense also that he's, I, I didn't get a place to put this in there, but that he's like part Dominican, mm-hmm. um, which I think is fascinating because man, does Zach Britton not look part Dominican? But uh <laughs> One of the most interesting things that I got um, out of Hark in that story was, you know, this sense he had that Baltimore rushed Britain back, that uh, mm-hmm. uh, he wasn't ready, but they needed to get him on a mound so that he could, could get trade va- trade value. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Hark, and I, maybe Cashman wouldn't have wanted him to say this necessarily, or maybe Cashman wouldn't have admitted this or agreed with it, but he was basically saying, like, you know, we need to approach this next, like, four to six weeks as though this is his spring training and then we'll start seeing who he really is late august and september and i mean honestly if you look at what he has done lately like you are now seeing zach Britton, the guy who set all those records right i mean it's 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 he's been extremely good lately well we'll see what happens with the bullpen as we continue down the stretch here it's gonna be a fun last few games of the season Yes. One homestand left. One yeah. homestand left. And so if you're here during that homestand, you're definitely going to want to pick up the September issue of Yankees Magazine featuring Giancarlo Stanton on the cover. John's feature on the bullpen called Endgame on page 70. Hillary's feature on Brett Gardner, the Daily Grinder. Yep. It's on page 181. And uh, all of this stuff, you can also find it online at yankees.com slash magazine. And one issue left. We've got an issue left. We will be signing off on it um, as you're listening to this. Yes. <laughs> uh, so pray for us, I guess. <laughs> one issue left. <laughs> uh, it's, will... it's football season. No, it's, it's, it's playoff baseball season. I know. But yeah, it's just, we did it. We... <laughs> Yet another season in the books, literally. We, we made all the books. Great job, guys. <laughs> all right. We'll talk to you guys soon. Bye.